right, today we are in Proverbs chapter 26. Before we start, let's pray and we will uh, begin. I'm going to start with verses 18 and 19. So let's pray. Father God, this is your word, this is your wisdom. We are your children. Teach us, show us why your wisdom is wise. Maybe not just understand the words, but understand how to live them out day by day, how to apply them in our life. It's not just ears to hear and eyes to see, but minds to really think these things through and maybe look at our own selves. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives, that is, deals treacherously with his neighbor, and says, was I not joking? I uh, have lived 76 years plus, and as I got into my late 20s, early 30s, I began to realize that people would say things and do things and then excuse what they did or justify what they did or try to escape responsibility for what they did by claiming they meant no harm or their intentions were good or they were just joking. People aren't necessarily getting up in the morning telling themselves, I'm going to excuse my bad behavior by using one of these excuses, but that's what they do. I've certainly done the just joking part. But when we do this, it not only makes us look dishonest, unloving, and insensitive to the effects of our behavior on others, but it cheapens and damages our relationships with those that we treat this way, that we use this excuse on. And it shuts down any opportunity to correct or improve the relationship. People who use these excuses, um, I meant well, or I was just joking, People who use the excuses use them more than once. And so you are often trapped with living with those excuses and no chance of (coughs) seeking a correction of the behavior, which means you're trapped with that behavior as well. And that's what shuts down the opportunity to correct or improve the relationship. The reality is a deceptive, harmful, relationship-damaging outcome. So think about that, the outcome. We're thinking about the outcome, not the motives, not the intentions, not what you claim your motives or intentions are. We're just looking at the outcome. A deceptive, harmful, relationship-damaging outcome, even from supposedly good intentions, is still a deceptive, harmful, 
relationship damaging outcome. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be compassionate and forgiving, understanding, patient, all those qualities that God uses with us, we should. But when you repeat the behavior again and again while continuing to claim good intentions, or that you were just joking, the damage is that much greater. To fail to take responsibility for such supposedly good intentions is a failure, in my opinion, a failure of honest self-judgment. It's a failure of love, and it's a failure of valuing self-interest, on the one hand, over loving relationships. To me, this is a very profound two-verse proverb. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? I had good intentions. I meant well. It just didn't turn out well. I was only kidding. Yes. Someone else. So just to add to that one, I remember reading it. I think it was a biography years ago, and a younger person had done something that was uh, not good. And so I didn't mean any harm by it. And his father or someone older says, well, did you mean any good? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He thought it was a good question to consider. Mm -hmm. Yes, and even if we didn't mean harm, and it it may be sincere and true, if we did harm, let us take responsibility for that and uh, care about how our behavior, even if it's totally sincerely meant well, it doesn't turn out well. Let's not shun the responsibility, take responsibility. Make love more important than having to feel like you are a good, perfect person. Someone else? Another proverb? Focus on four and five. Um, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And I, as I was reading it from the beginning of the week, it's like, wow, those two verses just seem to contradict each other. Um, and it just in a couple of commentaries I wrote, to, you know, just saying these two verses do belong together, they do complement each other. Um, and the point is that um, one should be drawn, um, sorry, um, one should not be drawn down to a fool's level, which is verse 4, but at times he must use a fool's language to refute the fool so he does not become conceited, which is verse 5. Um, wisdom is needed to determine when to apply verse 4 and when to apply verse 5. And this commentary said the Jewish Talmud suggest that verse 4 pertains to foolish comments that can be ignored and that verse 5 refers to erroneous ideas that must be corrected. Um, and another um, like application Bible um, kind of commentary stated that a wise person has a choice to make depending on what he or she sees as the greatest need of a fool. 
Some fools don't deserve an answer because they are clearly not in the mood to listen. And those who try to answer them will simply stoop to their level. There are other situations where common sense says to answer the fool in order to expose his or her pride and folly. Just a couple other um, proverbs that were related to um, specifically verse 4, it's Proverbs 23, 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. And then Proverbs 29, 9. When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, the foolish man either rages or laughs, and there is no rest. And then for really, a verse related to verse 5, was Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Yeah, thanks. Uh, since you took that one, look up John chapter 19, and we'll look at verses 8 through 11. But before you get there, um, how often have you tried to I'm going to argue in the healthy way, somebody into a truth or a position when they're committed to arguing in their own way to just get approval for their position or their opinion. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's like it just goes in circles, right? There's no winning. It's only losing because the other person isn't looking to become wiser. They're just looking for approval. And here you are just, you know, full force into this conversation and it's going nowhere. It's just fruitless. Um, for me, I think it's wiser to listen and wait for the other person to say something that you could actually point out is truly erroneous or foolish or um, going in the wrong direction and not saying that much, but just uh, enough to get the point across and letting them go on. Um, but it's just, don't answer a fool according to his folly, otherwise you become foolish too. It's easy to get angry, it's easy to get uh, controlling, to get put the pressure on the other person, to make them agree with you, uh, and they're just committed to getting their own way and having your approval. That's all their commitment is. So, yeah, it's very foolish. Uh, to me, uh, verses 4 and 5, I, I would say it this way, do not answer a fool when your answer Choice of words and tone of voice. Don't exclude those. Don't uh, answer a fool when your answer will make you as foolish as the fool. So think about even your choice of words and tone of voice. Answer a fool, of course, guarding your choice of words and tone of voice so that you remain respectful when your silence will allow him to think more highly of himself than he ought. Okay, this is an example, this John 19, 8 through 11, uh, of Jesus when uh, a foolish statement was made and he saw the need to correct it. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. 
You might have thought he had the power, but the reality is God had the power, and Jesus was silent up until that point, and then he answered. Yeah, it's a good example. Thanks, Kevin. Someone else? Uh, I'd like to comment on those verses also. Uh, <coughs> the uh, like the first one I would just I just rewrote is uh, basically the idea of don't answer a fool in the same way or with the same attitude and behavior as the fool. Uh, in other words, lest you be like him in, in his characteristics. Uh, there's uh, some examples like in First Peter uh, chapter two, he wrote. Uh, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for us, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. Who didn't sin, rather, uh, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was cursed, he didn't curse back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Mm-hmm. And so he was, people responded to him in one way, uh, whether it's with questions, challenges, uh, behavior, but he didn't respond in like kind, in, in the same way. Uh, and then also in Jude, um, um, could you stay there just a moment? Yeah. Could you read the reason that he didn't respond in kind, not just because it was wise, but what was he doing? Instead, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Right. He trusted God to work it out. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, in Jude uh, one or Jude, but it's only one verse nine. Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil. And arguing about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him an abuse of condemnation, but said, may the Lord rebuke you. Mm-hmm. Uh, which even, again, even the angel showing, you know, not responding uh, in the same way or dealing with them on his, his level or behavior or characteristics or whatever, but responding in a way that would be uh, in, in pleasing before God's sight. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, verse 5 uh, do <clears throat> what we should do is do understand and comprehend the folly of the fool. And understanding his folly, do not simply respond to the words of the fool, but respond instead to the folly of the fool. Uh, <clears throat> so when, when the simple and needy people came to Jesus and asked him something, his answers were often straightforward. Uh, when the cunning and proud and arrogant asked questions to Jesus or challenged Jesus, he often did not directly answer the words of their question, but used the occasion to address the folly that was the source of the question or challenge. <clears throat> uh, there is a, a examples of one example in the Old Testament is uh, when uh, I think it was when Jehoshaphat had gone to, to the northern kingdom and was going to you know, go to battle with the uh, King Ahab, and they had brought uh, one of the prophets, Micaiah, there out of prison. So, like, hey, what's going to happen? And Micaiah had said, it's not going to end well. You know, this is a bad idea. And uh, so Zedekiah, one of the false prophets, struck him on the cheek and said, which way did Yahweh's spirit go for me to speak to you? Uh, Micaiah said, behold. You will see on that day when you go into an inner room to hide yourself. The king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him away to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, The king says, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return at all in peace, Yahweh has not spoken by me. He said, Listen, all you people. Anyway, the idea is he's not 
he's not uh, become like the people he's trying to, to give his message to, uh, but he's kept his uh, focus on what what he's supposed to be, uh, the message he's supposed to be bringing to them, and so it's not distracted by the folly of the fool, but uh, still responds to the folly that he was sent to respond to, in the way he was sent to respond to it. Uh, in Matthew 15, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, Why do your disciples disobey the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered them, Why do you also disobey the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. <laughs> right? So he doesn't make any attempt to justify, Hey, here's why they're not washing their hands first, which is not in the scripture, but it is in your tradition, right? But he does use that occasion to say, you know, you're bringing this up, but there's some folly that you, <laughs> that you have as an issue, and he points that out and addresses their folly. And anyway, there's multiple other situations where that there's this in uh, Matthew 21 and 23 where they say, ask him, by whose authority are you doing this? And he knows it's they're not really interested in the answer; they're just trying to trap him. So he, knowing that, doesn't respond to their question. It says, I have a question for you, and if you can answer mine, I'll be happy to answer yours. But they were not willing to answer his because they didn't really want an answer in the first place for any question. They want to get trapped. Right, so again, the, right, the idea is there's, there's times where people ask questions, they don't really, they aren't really interested in that the answer to that question, right? They're, but there's some other folly that's the source of that question, and it's much better if we understand what that is and can respond to that. Uh, there's, you know, there's the questions about paying taxes. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar, right? Or is there's the seven brothers who had a wife between, you know, they all died and had the wife next. And, and Jesus, you know, listened to their questions, but uh, he had an answer that was uh, not simply, he, he didn't get into a dissertation about, well, taxes this and taxes that. He he turned the question over to, you know, are, are you giving your whole self to God, right? Where the rest of you, is your whole being devoted to God, or are you arguing with me about some foolish thing here? Uh, anyway, yeah, just those examples of uh, not answering a fool, uh, or answering a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes, or answering, sorry, answering a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And those, some examples of what that would look like. Yeah. So two responses. One, let's remember one of the things Kim said, and that is, uh, when possible, uh, answer a fool so it doesn't uh, get conce further conceited and feel like he's really a smart guy. It's not always possible, so I think that's a good thought to keep in mind. <laughs> and uh, secondly, just uh, considering what Mark had said, you have to be willing to listen first <coughs> and then decide how to respond, not let the person's communication to you start revving you up with a response. Listen first. Listen to it all the way through. Understand what's going on the best you can. And then decide how to respond. And that's a real important part. Someone else?
when I was looking at what is uh, Proverbs 26 or 13, it says a sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. <clears throat> the idea that someone who's lazy uh, finds lots of things to be afraid of, whether it's COVID, whether it's um, something bad could happen to me, you know, there's some conspiracy that I should stay at home. Um, whatever it is, that they're going to find things to be anxious about. They're going to find things to be afraid of. Um, if, you know, if, if the root is actual laziness, where they just really don't want to, they don't want to trust, they don't want to go out, they don't want to go out there, they don't want to find out, they want to just be given an excuse to stay and not do anything. It's, uh, it was an interesting you know, way of illustrating this. And it was a lion like, I could get killed by some wild animal out in the street. Like anything can happen. You know, I should. I'm wise to stay home. You don't understand. This is this is smart. I'm 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 the smart one here. And it kind of goes down with another one online. Uh, a couple of verses down, which is a sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. <clears throat> like they. Are very impressed with their own reasoning, um, especially when they're trying when they're able to accomplish people justifying them being lazy. <coughs> I've seen that a lot at Kroger's. Uh, second attempt saying I see that a lot of where I work. We got workers that are so lazy that it's pretty bad when you it takes a spot away from somebody that actually wants to work. So the, this particular proverb, the first one, 13, I think describes the ingenuity of the lazy or the fearful to uh, not have to face up to the work or their fears. Yeah. They're just ingenious, not a doubt. Someone else? I like the 17, like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. I don't have a lot to say about it, but it's, I've seen, I've seen that recently in a child um, getting involved in something that other kids are fighting. And, you know, sometimes even with good motives, the idea of I'm going to, I'm going to step in and I'm going to, um, yeah, between, you know, if, if two kids are wrestling, although I might like to wrestle, I look at them and see, like, they're, someone's probably bullying someone, so I'll, I'll do it, but to, um, but to apply that to any of us, to, like, be just up for a fight, whether it's, um, whether it's between you or not, um, it just, it just, it's just wisdom, just clear wisdom. Can you take a dog by the ears and, uh, hope not to get bitten? <laughs> Yeah, you're probably going to get the dogs going to turn on you. So that's one thing. And uh, New American Standard has it. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife. Was there an invitation? No. You inserted yourself into that situation, which is a bit prideful, maybe even arrogant. Um, so that would be certainly a weakness. Uh, interesting, if you're my age, um, it's hard to read this proverb without thinking of a president that we had, Lyndon uh, Johnson, Lyndon mm -hmm. Baines Johnson, 
who lifted his beagle by the ears out on the uh, White House lawn in uh, 64, this happened, in front of the press corps. He was uh, trying to make a point. And he actually picked up the dog by the ears right off the, his feet off the, off the ground. And uh, that really hurt his popularity with dog lovers throughout the country because he did that deed. And uh, Lyndon Johnson was a man who had been in the Senate for many, many years. Uh, he was vice president to uh, John Kennedy. And when John was shot and killed, he was uh, then made president. Because that was the, his role to step in and take that job. But he had favors owed to him. He was a pretty well-respected, uh, feared man. But when he did that, he got the bad <laughs> press picking up his dog by the ears. Which has nothing to do with this proverb, by the way. But it is a good proverb because when you get involved in other people's conflicts without being invited, you are inserting yourself in a place that it's likely to come back and bite you. Uh, and one of the police have found one of the worst scenes to go to is domestic violence, because then both are possible to turn on you, and uh, you end up in worse shape than if you had just stayed outside the door. Uh, I mean, here's two people, same home, same family, fighting with each other, and when the police come, they become the threat to this couple uh, rather than each other, and it's just a... Uh, Phenomenon that uh, it's so true. Yeah, thanks. Good one. Well, I'll uh, do verse 12. Uh, I, I find this whole chapter interesting in that most of the chapters uh, that have uh, the individual proverbs don't generally have groups or themes, they're very much, you know, just somewhat, they, they appear very random. But in this chapter, the first 12 verses appear to be very specifically about the fool, and only verse 2 doesn't mention the word fool. Uh, the next several verses are very specifically about sluggards or laziness, and then the, the rest of the chapter is about things to do with strife or quarrels. <clears throat> But uh, verse 12, let me see here. Verse 12, uh, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And uh, so if you read the first 12 verses, uh, it's all about the fool and or the people who, uh, you know, re relate to the fool. You know, snow in summer, rain in harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. Uh, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, a rod for the back of fools. You know, don't answer a fool, do answer a fool. Uh, don't send a message by a fool. Uh, fools can't, uh, don't know how to use a proverb. Uh, don't give honor to a fool or you're going to be creating more problems, right? Uh, anyways, basically the fool's pretty, uh, it's, you don't want to be the fool. You don't want to be the person dealing with the fool. And there's plenty of other chapters or plenty of other proverbs in the rest of the book. To talk about the fool, and uh, but then verse twelve uh, kind of caps it all off by saying, "Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. As bad as the fool is, as bad as you know, which the Proverbs presents the fool as being pretty bad. 
Uh, as bad as he is, there's someone worse. And it's the person who's wise in their own eyes, and I suppose the fool would be wise in his own eyes, but I think the, he's trying to make a point, right? There's someone, uh, the fool's in bad shape, but someone who's uh, arrogant, conceited, proud. Uh, opinionated. Opinionated and wise in their own eyes, right, uh, is, has much less hope than the fool does. Uh, that they might, uh, you know, overcome or whatever. Could I add in the idea here? Uh, a wise, a man wise in his own eyes, or a woman wise in her own eyes, is a know-it-all. Have you ever tried to convince a know-it-all of the error of their ways? That's yeah. That's why I think I use the the idea of know-it-all. To me, that helps put it in the the know-it-all. There's just no way to get through to them. They know it all. And uh, that's that. I uh, grew up in a church where we had a, a gentleman. In fact, I worked with this fellow as a, a custodian. He was the church custodian. This man was incredibly intelligent, amazingly talented. He was a great photographer. Um, he was an artist. He... Um, he, he, he was, if he would paint the indoors, not the artwork, but when he would do a, a paint job in the indoors of the church, it was perfect. He was just a very talented, capable person. But he would not let anybody tell him anything. And he couldn't keep a job. If the church did not keep him hired as their custodian, he wouldn't have had a job. He had been let go of so many jobs, it was really sad. And he definitely died, a very poor man. His uh, wife lived in this poverty with him. I, I, when I was that age, I was in uh, high school at the time when I worked with him, I didn't think about what his wife had to endure, but as I got older and I reflected on, uh, his name was Raleigh, uh, reflected on Raleigh, I thought, man, what his wife must have put up with, you know, she should have gotten a gold medal for being married to this guy. Um, he was definitely a know-it-all, but it ruined his life, and you couldn't help him. couldn't tell him different, couldn't convince him different, and he had many, many qualities, abilities. He would have just been willing to listen, but he wasn't, you know, know-it-all. Someone else. But I have some verses to read with that. Uh, okay. In uh, Matthew 21, where uh, they asked, Jesus had told the story about the two sons, and uh, one said, uh, Father told him to do something, he said, I'll do it, but didn't. And the other son said, I don't want to, but ultimately changed his mind and went and did it. And he says, uh, which two? Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And he said to them, most certainly I tell you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes, who would, would have been considered the fools of the time, are entering into God's kingdom before you. <clears throat> uh, because the uh, people he was talking to were wise in their own eyes. In uh, Luke 18, Jesus tells the story about the, the Pharisee who went to pray. And uh, he says, uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed by himself, by himself like this, God... I thank you that I am not like the rest of men, extortionists, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Right, but it was the fool tax collector who was justified before this one. Uh, in Revelation, he says, Because you say, I am rich and have gotten riches and have need of nothing, 
and don't know that you are the wretched one, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, and then uh, Proverbs 3 warns, don't be wise in your own eyes. Uh, in Proverbs 28, the rich man is wise in his own eyes. And then in Isaiah, uh, last one, he, uh, he's giving a list of woes. Uh, to the people, woe to them because of, to those who do this, who do that. And among them is woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Let's go to 20 and 21. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer or talebearer, contention, that is strife or conflict or disputes or quarreling, quiets down. However, verse 21, and I add the however, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious person, man or woman, to kindle strife. The whisperer feeds contention by keeping stories alive. The contentious person stirs up contention because that's what they just like to do. And... uh, they're just a contentious person. The whisperer spreads information that, listen carefully, may or may not be true. It might be true. It may not be true. And it may or may not be accurate. It may be true, but inaccurate. It's not the whole story, or it's not told the way it really is supposed to be told. So the whisperer spreads information that may or may not be true, may or may not be accurate, one, to those who have a legitimate right to know. There are people who have a right to know, but the whisperer spreads that information to them, not because they're the ones who ought to do it, but because they're a whisperer. Secondly, they spread it to those who ought not to know. There are people who should know things. I think too often it is easy to damage a person's reputation by telling a story about them, and their reputation doesn't need to be damaged. But because we are spreading the story, we're setting up the people who hear that story to see that person in a certain way. Then the whisperer spreads the story to those who have no need to know. There's a lot of us that don't need to know. We can live life just as well if we don't know the stories. uh, So if you remove the whispering, that is, you have to also remove the whisperer, and you remove the contention, which means you have to also remove the contentious person, then the atmosphere calms down. And when the atmosphere calms down, it's a lot easier to work out conflict and find a resolution. And you can do that in a much more reasonable, peaceful, relationship-protective, mutually beneficial way. When uh, I worked with CCS, we got involved with many, many disputes. And some of those disputes were very contentious. Uh, got involved with a, a lady who was on one side of a dispute. I ended up meeting with her a number of times. 
Um, she had a tongue that could just rip you apart, and uh, she had no qualms about doing that. Just and, and until we could calm her down, get her to end her contentiousness, we really couldn't do anything to resolve the conflict. And the conflict was very real, and her her side of it was not her contribution to it, but her suffering as a result of it was very real. She needed relief. Uh, we needed to resolve that conflict, but she was a significant part of causing it just by her contentiousness. If you can remove that and calm things down, it's a lot easier to resolve conflicts. Someone else? All right, let's go to 24, 25, and 26. I'm going to do these three together. He who hates disguises it with his lips. But he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, that is, with deceitful cunning or duplicity, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So think of it this way. If we hate someone we ought to love, we know what those feelings are like. I'm, I think all of us adults in this room know what it feels like to hate somebody. And we know what it's like to hate somebody we ought to love. We may hide our hatred with words and some of our actions. But the reality is the hatred is still within us. In the same way, if someone hates us, we ought to be wary of that person's words, although they may sound conciliatory or even loving, they are hypocritical at best. And so we should only believe the words if they are supported by kind and loving behavior or open repentance and remorse for their bad behavior. The problem with these verses is that, in my opinion, I don't know many people who will admit they hate another person. Now, they don't feel that they have that kind of animosity or ill will towards anybody in their home or in their neighborhood or at their workplace or in their extended family. I mean, who of us would admit we actually hate somebody? Do you understand that if we make ourselves friends of the world, that's what we choose to be in some area of life or in some way, we are also at the same time making ourselves an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. How many of us think about being God's enemy when we're just choosing a worldly way? How many of us think of ourselves as being hostile to God or committing adultery against God when we go and love something in the world that we ought not to love? The Bible says that as well. And the reality is when I mistreat you for my own sake, even if in many ways I profess to love you and I am loving towards you in 
a number of areas. If I mistreat you, take advantage of you, hurt you for my own sake, in those moments, I am hating you. Now, one of the things that I believe is important is for us to be able to see that about ourselves because that becomes a more rational, reasonable motivation to put that kind of behavior out of my life. And if I just say, I I didn't behave right, or I know that was wrong, I shouldn't have done it. No, the reality is, when I do that to you, I'm hating you. I'm not loving you. I'm hating you. And when we are willing to mistreat another person for our own sake, which my guess is all of us adults in this room have at least done that a few times, maybe we still do it, When we do that for our own sake, that means that this is in our heart. We aren't doing that out of love, especially if it's a repeated thing. We're doing it out of self-interest, which means I become more important than you. And yes, that's a nicer way to say it, but what the Bible says is that I hate you. So my encouragement to each of us is, as I've encouraged you to do with James chapter 4, use Bible language. Help yourself see what you're doing. Let that compel you, drive you, motivate you to put godliness in its place. Someone else? You know, why don't you do verse 27? All right. <laughs> so everybody knows this, but I'll just say... Um, hunters would um, catch wild animals by digging a pit and covering it with maybe some sticks or dirt or leaves or something. And then um, the animal that they wanted to trap would fall into it. Um, And the wicked dig similar pits for um, men. But God says that They'll fall into their own traps. Then in war, um, men would roll great stones, like they're too heavy to lift. And they would roll them like up a cliff or from a wall so that they could drop it down onto their enemies. Um, But figuratively, that um, those stones will fall back on the wicked. If we can learn to surrender some of these difficult situations and let um, God do his own revenge, we have to deny our revenge and wait for him to do his own work and his own timing. Um. There was um, examples in scriptures about it, like Haman died on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. The um, the people who were trapping Daniel actually were destroyed by the lions themselves. Um, so those are just a couple examples. From scripture. That's that's all.
Well, thank you. Uh, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Um, I don't know if you have your Bible, Dan, if you want to read that or someone else wants to take it. This does not I'll, necessarily... What was I'll that? Let it go. I'll let you guys do it. Thanks. Okay, someone else take... Somebody take Galatians 6, 7, and 8, please. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, someone started. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to reap to, to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, that's a pretty powerful statement, in my opinion. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. You can't laugh in the face of God as if you can get away with sin. Um, what we sow, we will reap. We dig the pit, we're real likely to fall into it, and if not that one, then one nearby. <coughs> Anyone else? I don't want to miss your opportunity. There's a reference, I think, in the section you talked about, there's a reference to seven abominations. <coughs> Is that, there's a, I think Proverbs 6 talks about abominations that the Lord hates. Is, is, is there a connection there, or not necessarily, or I don't know that that's connected. That could be. Um, that is the only list of abominations that I'm aware of in the Book of Proverbs. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting list. I think uh, four of the seven are about our words. Long tongue. Yeah. False witness, spreading strife in their brothers. Yeah. Uh, and back in the section on the fools, um, <coughs> the book did verse 6 and 7, the uh, cuts off his own feet and drinks violence, who sends a message by him to fools, like the legs which hang down from the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. I, um, I feel like there's been uh, you know, a, a way I think of that is that there's some people in my life that I feel like have to really careful, precise, or think ahead about if I try to send a message through them or to them, uh, their motives or their purposes or their understanding might be different and how they might twist that or not apply that in the way it's intended. So so it becomes a very challenging thing to actually accomplish the message that's intended or the purpose of the wisdom that's being communicated. Mm -hmm. uh, just in that section, um, verse 8, Interesting picture. One who binds a stone in a sling. What does that mean? Binding a stone in a sling. Getting ready for a fight. Yes. What does it mean to bind a stone in a sling? Is it actually securing it? Does that mean to like put it in the strap and pull it back? Well, that's use. That's how you use the sling. Or you could use the kind where you whip it around with two strings on it and let one and go on the rock. If you bind it in the sling, how it 
How is it going to leave? It's not, it's not going anywhere. It won't. That's right. It's not going anywhere. Yes. Like a verse nine, like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard. Why can't the drunkard get the thorn out of its hand? His hand, because he's too drunk. Can hardly see his, his uh, hands are not going according to where they're supposed to be. Really good imagery. Like an archer, verse 10, who wounds everyone. So is he who hires the archer who wounds everyone is just shooting arrows and not discriminating between who the enemy is and who the uh, friends and, and uh, his team is like. Like your one story from the line. That's right. We're listening. Um, it's a story from the Civil War, war where a man from the South got stranded from his unit. And he was so cold that he stole the jacket of a um, Union soldier. And then he comes back to his lines. His own man thought he was the enemy and killed him. Yep. All right, let's finish up with uh, 23 mostly because it's not an easy one to decide what it means. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. If you uh, read the Amplified Bible version of this, then it, it clarifies more of what's going on. Burning lips or uttering insincere words of love and a wicked heart are like an earthen vessel covered with the scum thrown off from molten silver, making it appear to be solid silver. So just a quick history. When silver was heated and the dross came to the top, it was scooped off. However, because some silver came with the scooping, in other words, the scooping wasn't perfect and that it only got the dross, it got some silver with it, what they did was they saved that and they used that as a, like a covering for clay pots. So they would make a clay pot and either paint this on or somehow put it on the outside of the clay pot, maybe put it in the fire so it would adhere and it would make the clay pot look silvery. Was the clay pot silver? No, it was just covered. It only had that look. Underneath was really just clay. So the burning lips most probably refer to speaking insincere words of love uh, that come from a wicked heart, by the way. So those insincere words of love are like that, just covering it. It only makes it look like this person really loves you when in fact they don't. It's a, a good... Uh, a good picture if you can get the history of it. So, though kind, gracious, loving, affirming words sound <clears throat> sincere, they cannot change the insincerity in which they are spoken any more than silver dross can make a clay pot into a silver vessel. Yeah. <clears throat> 